Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we're back in the studio today with another good friend of Project Purple. I say that a lot, but you are going to meet a really good friend of Project Purple, Miss Mary Arnold, who is the CEO of Active Brand Consulting. Thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast, Mary. Oh, thanks for having me, Dino. Excited to chat with you. And as I just said to the audience here, you are a good friend and, and full disclosure, uh, I think you and I have known each other. So it's funny, we're in March recording this, which would, would have been the weekend of the New York City Half Marathon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Facebook has this great memory tab that pops up and shows you these memories. And I, I saw the other day, there were memories from the expo where I think we, I don't know if that was the first time we met, which was like almost six years ago, five years ago, which was that, uh, that old, that sounds right. That old, old post office across from Madison Square Garden, which was oh, the Farley post office. That's yeah. right. For the New York City half expo. That was the very first year that they had done an expo for the half or maybe the second year because they had done it at the Metropolitan Pavilion one year and then they moved it over to the Farley post office. Which was such a cool venue, right? Because it had huge ceilings and it was, it, you could see it's the old post office, right? And you could, they still had the ceiling. You could see like how the mail used to come in through these pipes and just drop, you know, into the bins and stuff like that. Some of that infrastructure was still there. That building, I believe, now is part of the Penn Station kind of revival i guess if the if you can redevelopment, call it, redevelopment i think yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a revival yeah they, yeah they, yeah no well I, I think it's still very much in process but uh yeah that was a really cool space they had that was the first year that they had done like a really interesting digital integration yeah. i remember they had a huge screen that yeah. people could post to social and then their posts would show up on this giant screen and everybody was super excited to see their posts because that was like one of the first times that people had seen that. I think Instagram was probably a year old at that point. Yeah, it was great. That's so crazy to think back. But so we've known each other for quite some time. And mm-hmm. you have worked with us recently, just in the past couple of months, doing multiple projects. We had you first in New York for the New York Marathon and working with your team and, and working with our team in terms of engaging with our community online via social media there at the events in New York City for the New York Marathon. And then we brought you back in your team for our precede meeting, which was really special to be back in New York. And then we were supposed to be together, sadly, uh, this coming weekend where we're recording for the New York City Half Marathon, but that event has been canceled due to the COVID-19 outbreak. But so we've known each other for quite some time in various capacities, but as we do with all our guests, Mary, we always give you guys the opportunity to kind of share with our audience your background. And I always kind of start this question by saying you can go as far back and as high level as you want, or you can start, you know, from the New York City half marathon and, and bring us to where you are today. We've got a pretty vast audience and some people may know who you are, I've got a thinking, because you know, from your running experience and from your professional experience, and some people may be this might be the first time they're hearing the name Mary Arnold. I, yeah, it's, it's very possible. And I I think that there's a lot of people who may see the show photo and go, Hey, I know her. (laughs) She she cheered me on at the, you know, 2010 New York city marathon, or she was uh, passing out M&Ms during the the 2012 year when the race got canceled and everybody ran anyways in central park. So, 
Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, it's, it's so nice to be able to chat with you in this way. And I, you know, we love working with Project Purple and we really appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat together on the Project Purple podcast, uh, which, by the way, is really challenging to say three times fast. I'm definitely <laughs> going to mess that up at some point in time. Um, so, so I have been uh, in the running industry for about 14 years. Um, I started as one of the first female coaches. I might have been the first female coach ever employed by Jack Rabbit Sports. Way back in the day, I think I started in 2005, early 2005, um, coached with them, uh, their half marathon and marathon training programs for several years, really enjoyed it, got this crazy opportunity to open one of their stores, one of their newest stores on the Upper East Side, uh, was there for several years, uh, took a little detour through nonprofit and worked with the Asphalt Green organization, uh, managed their tri-team for a little bit. Uh, and then realized that my heart really wasn't running and got uh, a great opportunity to come back into running specialty and work with the running specialty group, uh, which manages 74 running stores across the U.S. Um, there were some changes within that organization several years back. And I thought, well, you know what? You've been doing this at that point for, you know, 11 years. I think you could do this by yourself. Uh, so I took the big leap and, and opened up my own shop. Uh, and I, I specialize in connecting brands and communities in the outdoors and helping brands tell really authentic stories um, in ways that connect with those communities. Do a little bit of everything from content marketing and management, social media management like we did with Project Purple, to big experiential things. I manage the media for um, a, a large race out in Colorado called the Trans Rockies Run, excuse me, the Under Armour Trans Rockies Run. Uh, which is a six-day stage race across the front range. Uh, it's 120 miles and 20,000 feet a game, I think, over six days. Um, and it's been a blast uh, being uh, being uh, the owner of my own business and working with a lot of different groups within the community. A lot of different brands has been uh, an awesome learning experience. Right now, it's a little scary, to be honest, just with all of the uncertainty about kind of where brands are going and where the market's going. But I feel confident that over the course of the next two to three months, we're going to see an evolution in the sort of endurance sport and mass participation sport industry that actually helps drive us forward into the next 10 years. I, I think that, you know, all of the really impactful innovation that we've seen over the last 25 years has come from challenge and adversity. And I, I feel confident that we'll come out on the other side of this with some, some really good lessons to move forward. Exciting times, as I say, and uncertain yeah. times, but I, it's for sure, for I, sure. I think there's a there's a saying that I've heard many times, and I've used it, and I want to make sure that I, this comes out the correct way on the podcast. But you know, um, and it relates to you know growth, and when mm -hmm. people you know, are, are experiencing kind of doing the same thing day in, day out and not changing anything, they don't grow. And when you change things in your life, for example, if you are constantly drinking soda or let's just say you have bad health eating habits, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, changing that is, is adverse, adverse and it's stressful or it could be stressful, uh, but it's different, right? And, and different than doing what you do every day. But the benefits of eating right and getting healthy are tremendous, right? And I, and I feel kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, so we this might be a, 
a situation for a lot of organizations and for, for people personally that, you know, going through life just in second gear, let's say, or organizations, you know, going through their evolution, constantly doing what they've done, which is which not saying that it's not been successful, but now we have this little bit of adversity thrown at us and, and mm-hmm. not trying to negate the seriousness of COVID-19, but so we have this large adversity coming towards us in our businesses. And how do we react to that in a positive way and kind of re-engineer or reintroduce how we do what we do for the better could be pretty amazing. I mean, I think you're you're spot on, you know, with what you said because I think, you know, when we come out of this, when we will come out of this, it's going to be something maybe completely different than what we were doing 2 months ago or a month ago or 2 weeks ago even, right? But it's might be a real game changer, you know, for the entire industry, you know, if if people I guess see it that way or if if people can can work through this, you know, whole transition. I, I think you're right. And I do think um, I, I'd offer up here a, a little bit of advice that I actually got from uh, Pam Reed, uh, who is one of the most decorated ultra runners in the history of the sport. Uh, she won the Badwater 135 outright. I mean, Pam is just an absolutely stellar human um, and with a lot of hard fought wisdom. And somebody had asked her how she approached running 100 milers. Like, how do you do that? What does that look like? And she said, oh, I run, I don't run a hundred miles. I run one mile a hundred times, which I find to be so um, comforting and rational. And just like, you you know, when you're looking at something huge, like taking on a hundred miler, or, you know, if you're someone in the, in the project purple community who is looking at a diagnosis and figuring out what chemo looks like, or somebody who's making their way into recovery and hopefully remission, right? Those are these big, long, complicated, scary processes. And if we approach each of them a step at a time, literally like one mile at a time and focus on that mile while you're in it, um, I think it makes it a little more accessible. And I think that that's kind of how we have to approach the situation right now. We have to approach it by the mile that we're in um, and not, necessarily be too worried about things that are supposed to happen like in November or in July or next year, even as tempting as that may be, because that provides us some comfort. Um, just focus on what's what's now, troubleshoot what's now, um, and and really work to 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 keep yourself in that moment and moving forward. And I, I feel like that's, you know, going to be great advice, not only for us as, you know, individuals uh, experiencing this right now, but also for brands and for communities and nonprofits that are trying to, you know, trying to read the water ahead and, and it's not really clear, you know, just sort of focus on, on what you're in right now. Couldn't agree with you more. Powerful message, especially right now with what's going on in the world. I want to back you up a little bit, going back to your introduction here. Go for it. Because you, 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 left out a big piece of this. You're, you're a pretty good runner yourself. And I, I run a little. Yeah, I run a little. <laughs> and, and so let's even go further back. How did you get into running? Did you run in high school or you know, was running I always was, part of your life? I was dared, I think is probably the best answer <laughs> that I could give you there. Um, I had run a little bit in high school. Um, I played soccer as a kid, uh-huh. as a lot of kids in my home community did. Uh, I was probably the tallest person in my grade for 
uh, I think maybe the first 10 years of my schooling. So I wasn't a midfielder. I was a fullback. Didn't do a whole lot of running, but enjoyed it. And, um, I got to, um, got to high school and I was very interested in track and field because all my friends wanted to be in it. So, uh, we all went out to track and field. And now you have to keep in mind, of course, that all of this comes with context. This was the early nineties. Um, when the sort of climate around women's sports was very different, the climate around youth sports was very different. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking, uh, the track coach, you know, if there was a certain event that I could run and he just sort of stared at me (laughs) and he said, are are you, are you serious? And I said, (laughs) yes. And I forget which event it was that I wanted to run. And he said, you're too fat to run, go throw things, which is really interesting because I weigh the same now that I did in high school. And I think in your forties, that's probably pretty good. Right. (laughs) Um, so I took that to heart and didn't run a step until after I got out of college and I had been, um, I had been a, an extremely good beer drinker in college. I was really, I, I, if they had passed out awards for that, I probably would have meddled. I was very good at it. Um, and then two things happened. Uh, I found out that I didn't really like myself very much, uh, drinking an awful lot of beer. And I also found that I really couldn't go up the steps to my apartment very successfully. Wow. And I thought, well, that's probably not a good place to find yourself in, in your early twenties. So I started running and, uh, about a year later, a friend of mine said, Hey, do you want to come do this St. Patrick's day race with me? And I said, sure. Okay, fine. Uh, how far is it? And she said, it's 10 K. I didn't know how far a K was, <laughs> uh, but I was really overly confident that I could do 10 of them. Yeah. Uh, so especially since they gave you beer at the finish, I figured that sounds great. So I went out and I did it and I didn't die. And they gave me a t-shirt and a beer. And I thought, Oh, that's great. Let me try it again. Only maybe not with the beer drinking. Um, I quit drinking beer, uh, about a year later and started racing and found myself totally enamored with the idea of how far I could go. Um, because to be honest, the, the further I went, the better my times looked. I'm not, uh, at six feet tall, I'm not going to be uh, winning any prizes on a 5k. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, the sort of the longer I went, the, the better I did. And I became just totally fascinated with the Boston marathon, having grown up in Massachusetts. Um, I've, took me seven tries to qualify the first time, but I did. Uh, and that was back in the days when you could qualify in February and race in April. Yeah. Um, that was fast. That was, uh, uh, 2006. Um, I'd already been coaching for a little while at that point in time and running other marathons. And from there it just sort of evolved. I found out about ultra running, um, which for those folks that might be unfamiliar, it's any distance past, 50 kilometers, which is 31 miles. Uh, they sort of come in several typical flavors. There's your 50 kilometer. There's your 50 mile. There's your 100K, which is 62 miles. Um, there's your 100 mile. Uh, and even now we're starting to see the growth of 200 and 200 mile plus events. So crazy. Um, it's pretty nuts. It really is. Um, so I, I just got, uh, I have not personally done a 200 um or 200 plus but i got really interested in the idea of you know how far could i go so i ran a 50 miler and i did really well and i was like okay well what's the next step it's 100 right because there's not a lot of 100ks around yeah so i uh in 2011 went out to colorado to run a race called the leadville 100 um i had a great crew with me uh my husband uh, dear friends from california dear friends from uh colorado uh, and their dog, which is also really important because their dog was in charge of me at one point. And, uh, it, the race director at the time, Ken Kloberg, who's the founder, uh, and Marilyn Maupin 
they stood up before the race and they said, listen, you're going to go out there one person and you're going to come back another. <laughs> and they were really, really right. They were absolutely right. And, and Ken always closes that speech with, you're stronger than you think you are and you can do more than you think you can. And 29 hours and 45 minutes later, Ugh. I knew he was right. And uh, so since then, I've done a lot of ultra racing uh, in the U.S. I've done some ultra racing in Europe. Um, and I'm currently training for uh, hopefully my 500-mile buckle at the Vermont 100 this summer. So 500-mile buckle, meaning you've done five, five, five finishes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping it looks like, yeah, I'm kind of hoping it looks like the WWF belt, you know, because belt buckles are a thing with with 100 milers. And for folks who may be unfamiliar, the reason that belt buckles are a thing in ultra running is because the very first ultra race, uh, the Western States 100, the very first 100 miler uh, was originally a horse race. And they passed out belt buckles to the participants of the horse race. So that's how we ended up with belt buckles in, uh, in hundred miles. That makes sense now. I've always wondered, you know, I mean, and so you and I met, you were doing all these ultras, you weren't doing marathons. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think I'd probably gone past those at that yeah. point. And I mean, I do, I do marathons. I, I race one or two a year for, you know, just to kind of keep my hand in, in terms of speed. And then a lot of them are sort of preparatory for longer stuff. So the, the ultras and, and, I remember when I got into running, I was like, what, what, anything more than 26, 26 is far enough. Why would you want to go further? Uh, But you know, I, I, it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, the, the ultra scene is a very small scene, but it's also, um, in terms of people that, you know, have completed these races, but it's growing though. I mean, it's, we, we had our, as I'm sorry to cut you off, but in, uh, the, this most recent, uh, there's the sort of trade publication of note is, uh, ultra running magazine. And every year in December and January, they publish sort of their year end report, um, which I encourage anybody who's curious about ultra running or maybe just really take stats to take a look at. Um, we were up, I want to say in terms of unique finishes, like 37% over last year. And That's you look crazy. at the growth curve of people in the sport and it's, it's fascinating. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that for the most part, ultras are a little more affordable than your sort of typical road marathon. Uh, there's a hundred miler up in New Hampshire that I'm very fond of that I think costs $43. So, so you're talking about the entry fees to get into these mm-hmm. races. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the barriers to entry, I mean, certainly the training barriers are a little higher in some regards, but yeah. the barriers to entry in terms of financial commitment in a lot of cases with ultras are lower. Um, and I think people are interested in, in having an adventure, right? Maybe they've done a couple of road marathons and they enjoyed them, but they're sick of pavement or they're a little banged up or, or you know, maybe they, they read Born to Run. Or they, uh, the new one, well, it's not the new anymore. They've maybe seen the Barkley Marathons documentary yeah. and they have all kinds of questions. When that came out, my phone blew up. People were like, do you know Laz? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I, I know Laz. And no, he's not going to answer your email. Like, just don't even, yeah. just if you have questions, just put it out to the universe and see how that goes. And so for listeners at home, the, the Barkley Marathon, which is, um, and I've read plenty about it, heard it on plenty of audiobooks, is like hands down what is like the grail of ultra marathons, right? And it's this event that's held in Tennessee, if I'm correct. Uh yeah, it's so it's it's, it's like right it's on right the border, out, right? Or it's like uh yeah, so it's um at Bell Buckle, Tennessee is where Laz actually lives and that's where he does 
Biggs backyard. Um, it's Brushy Mountain State Park um, in in Tennessee. And it, I, I think the Grail is certainly an interesting way to describe it because nobody really knows how far the Barclays is. Correct. And nobody, I think there, at this point, there are only 15 people that have ever finished, finished it. Yeah, and most people don't finish, right? But so it's this yeah. race that you show up in you know a phenomenal shape you have to be in phenomenal shape and and you don't get you get invited to it right there's like a weird system it's not just like oh well, you have to register. apply no oh you there do. is a way to apply yeah there is a way to apply and you have to kind of find out how that is that you need to apply correct um and then you'll uh if you're if you've been accepted and i have not applied nor have i been accepted but i have a friend who was and you get an email that uh, it's, they call it, it's, it's not like, it's like the opposite of the, the London Marathon's commiserations email, which is sort of <laughs> celebratory, like, hey, yeah. sorry, you didn't get in, but we like you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is very much uh, like you have a bad thing waiting for you. Like, yeah. I'm sorry that you got in type of thing and make sure you bring your entry fee and your license plate. Um, and the idea with the Barkley is it's a, it's a 20 ish mile loop. That you have a set amount of time to, to, to get, yeah, but, yeah, and you don't in the trail like it's not like I've read stories um, of people that have gotten lost because they've and they oh everybody got, gets lost yeah and they haven't got it's, they don't get to lost. their points like the to these time cutoffs because they get lost and I'm, we're not talking about like oh someone went a hundred feet the wrong way we're talking about miles right like people go oh, we're talking like they may find you two towns over yeah, yeah exactly exactly it. And you have to, the idea is to, and I strongly encourage anybody who this sounds in any way interesting uh, to, to check out the documentary because it really is fascinating. Um, you have to, uh, there's checkpoints along each Correct. loop and you have to, there's books like paperback books stashed in Ziploc bags. And as a participant, you're assigned a number, like a page number on oh, each so you loop. pull out the and page number. That page, like if you're, you know, 95, you have to pull out page 95 and then the next loop you might be you know, 97 or something like yeah. that. And you have to have all of your pages, pages to prove that you were there. <laughs> exactly. So and there's, <laughs> well, there's also, it's really interesting because every year there's uh, sort of a theme to the books. Oh, um, and there's, it, it's always very dark, darkly comic. Um, but uh, it, they usually have titles like despair and heartbreak yeah. and doom, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's definitely, um, yeah. When you're looking at like, sort of events that have an, an an intense amount of credibility and lore around them. Um, the Barkley is definitely sort of that. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have races like UTMB or Tour de Jantz, um, which have just like incredible amounts of vert and views and all this other stuff. But yeah, domestically, the Barclays is, is just, I, I think it's the most interesting race that we have currently because it's so unlike anything else. So, but on that note, and, and you mentioned something here, and I am taking notes, Mayor. You mentioned like this experience, and there's, there's another, I have another note here, which is community, which you haven't mentioned yet, but for a time, and you're still kind of involved. I don't think you ever leave. Um, you were running November Project in New York City. In New York. Yep, exactly. So, um, go ahead. No. So, when we talk about, this ultra and you mentioned like ultras are, are exploding and you know you and i have had discussions off the mic about you know experience 
you know, and I think the runners out there crave experience and maybe ultras mm -hmm. have figured this out because like you said, you're grinding out on a pavement, you go to the expo, it's 26 miles, 13 miles, like unless those 13 or 26 miles are really, really freaking amazing, which there mm -hmm. are a couple races where that is, that is the case, whether it's the amount of fans or just the scenery, no offense to any race director listening, but like, you know, how, how, do, how do those, how does that pavement look different, you know, in that part of the country versus another part of the country, right? And maybe the mm -hmm. ultras have figured that out because it is so scenic and it is, you know, it's, it's kind of this, um, you know, the distance also requires you, you know, to be out there for that long. So it's a different type of experience clearly. And you're seeing, you know, different times of the day, you know, it could be oh, different, for sure. you know, in some yeah. places with elevation, your, your, your temperature is changing, right? So you're getting, you know, extremes yeah. from after hot about to 12, cold. Yeah. And after about 12 hours, 12 to 15 hours, you lose the ability to thermoregulate. So like you'll finish Javelino, which is a desert race in Phoenix in October. And you might be wearing like a light jacket, a buff and gloves. And, you know, some of the crew are sitting around in tank tops and flip flops at the finish line. Um, it's, experience and experience with an ultra is really different from a road experience, but it's, it's not different simply because of the location or the challenge that you face, but it, it's really, it's very different um, because of the community. And I'm, I'm glad that yeah. you brought that up because um, I think even, you know, even setting aside our current uh, concerns about COVID and, and, and all of that, I think people really, have been craving community, right? Like that's as we get more digitally connected, we're often less connected in real life, Correct. right? You might, you know, you might be sending somebody an email uh, about a project that you're both working on and they're down the hall from you, like three offices down, right? So I think that we see people looking to connect in ultras uh, for sort of that experience in the outdoors, but also the community. And the ultra community is by and large, some of the most interesting folks I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, they tend to be um, really generous and giving uh, of both their time and their, their information. A lot of times you'll roll up into an aid station, uh, which are, you know, think of, think about if you're a roadrunner, think about a sort of like your, your general water stop. Mm -hmm. you know, with Gatorade and water. And now picture that somewhere in the woods, like maybe halfway up a mountain path in the middle of the night, except now there's like camping tents and a buffet at it, <laughs> like hot and cold food. Somebody's probably making grilled cheese sandwiches. There may be bacon. Um, and the people, when you show up in the middle of the night, starving and cold, and you still have 25 miles left to run, they come out and they hug you. And they ask what you'd like to eat and some of them will fix your blisters for you. And some of them will, you know, I've actually had volunteers give me the shirt off their back when I, I my temperature had just crashed so bad I couldn't stay warm anymore. Um, I had a, a wonderful volunteer at the Vermont 100 several years ago. My, my headlamp had failed. My, my flashlight had failed. I didn't have any extra batteries and I still had four miles to go to the finish. And he came with me to the finish to make sure that I got there. So wow. you have all these people that have really invested in, in you and in the community. And a lot of them have done what you've done. Um, I remember 
being at Lake Sonoma, which is this really amazing race out in California, it tends to attract a lot of really talented professionals because it's early in the season. It's kind of like a really good tune-up for them, and it's a gorgeous course. And uh, I remember getting into an aid station at like mile 22 or 23, and I was just roasting. Like I was just couldn't keep myself cool. I had been doing everything with the ice and the Gatorade and just nothing was touching it. And, um, this, uh, this woman, uh, was helping me and she said, what's wrong? I said, I'm cooking. I don't understand why I'm so warm. And she looked at me and she kind of looked at my pack and she said, what kind of sunblock do you have on? And I told her whatever it was like SPF 90, I think at that point, cause it was really early summer. And she just started like washing it off of me. She got like a washcloth and she just washed it off of me. And I, I said, is this going to work? She said, yeah. She said, when it's so heavy, you know, the higher SPF actually blocks your pores and you can't sweat enough. She goes, it happens to Nikki all the time. And I realized in that moment, two things. Number one, the person that she was talking about was this incredibly talented professional runner named Nikki Kimball. And two, the woman I was talking to is Ann Trayson who uh, I, I believe is still holds the course record at the Western States 100. She is the winningest female athlete uh, in the history of ultra running. And she's just, she's out there working in aid station, like helping people. Um, I, I don't so know cool. that I've, it was amazing. I don't know that I've ever seen Bernard Legat at an aid station <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a road race, but I have seen Jim Walmsley. Yeah. You know, so it's it, it's just a different it's yeah, kind Galen's of a we're all in this together to, thing. Galen's not, no, probably rushing not out there to hand out Gatorade. And, and he he might have. And yeah, I honestly I don't know. know the answer to that. But I have seen more professional athletes. I remember being at a race and being handed a, a cup of beans by Scott Jurek. Like it's just it's that kind of a thing. Like everybody's yeah. in it together. Um, and that's the part that makes even the impossible seem possible. Like when you're 75 miles into your first hundred miler and the idea of going 25 more miles seems like going to the moon. It's that community that makes it possible. Yeah. I, and, and I, I think you just mentioned some stuff that some nuggets that are just so powerful and maybe there's some people listening, you know, in, in terms that put on events possibly, or, you know, people that have run some events that can relate to this. And, and I've seen this, and I think some of the marathons have done this, um, not to that degree where they're actually out there on the course, because clearly with security and stuff, but I think with the finish line engagement, um, you know, mm -hmm. I was fortunate to be at the New York Marathon uh, two years ago at the at the very end. Um, and what I mean the very end, the end of night, you know, when the when the walkers yep. are yeah, coming project through, finish. Yep. you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's just really special. And, and I know other races have, I think, have replicated that, you know, where the elites are coming back to hand out medals and to cheer on these, yeah. these folks. Meb Kofleski was passing yeah. out medals. I, I want to say it was, I, I want to say it was Meb and Des Linden, but I might be wrong. Uh, at Philadelphia this past yep. year, Philadelphia yep. had a really right. rough year. Yeah. Yeah. in terms of weather and they came out for like the last two hours of finishers and stood in the rain and they were just the looks on people's faces when they came around the corner and realized yeah, no, it and was like Meb and Des. Yeah, that's yeah pretty crazy. It, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no one would have thought about that when they when that gun went off. They were just trying to mm -hmm. get through the 26 miles or the 13 miles that they had to get through and then you realize like, holy cow, like you've got two Olympians and world champions handing you medals is pretty special. So, you know, maybe mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, I mean, you know, running isn't something that just, you know, this is a, an industry that has a long reach, a long, rich, steep history. Um, but something like that, 
I think, especially in the marathon world, is is somewhat recent though, which is kind of funny that you think about that, right? Because like I think up until like the '90s, like running wasn't really that big of a deal, right? And I think now it's it's you know it's a big deal with these shoe contracts, and some of these runners have become national heroes, whether it's uh, international runners or you know like a like a Mo Farah, you know, who's a you know mm-hmm. he's like uh, Sir Mo Farah, I should say, right? Technically, he's he was. Have, have you ever seen Mo? His his there's a blog called Mo Farah Run away from things um that's oh, really? really pretty spectacular i if anybody's you know if anybody's really interested in some extremely runner-centric memes it's it's pretty funny that's funny i gotta look that up so i i you know it's it's fascinating to me you know so we talk about this community and so you spent time at november project i as did well. yeah i co-led november project i've been a part of november project which if your listeners are unfamiliar um, is a, a global community-based organization devoted to uh, connecting communities through feet, three, let's try this again, free fitness. Yeah. Uh, it was started by Brogan Graham um, uh, and his, his best friend Boyan back in, I think, 2013, 2012, 2013. Um, and they started in Boston and they expanded to I believe it's 52 cities globally now. Um, the closest one, New York City actually has two uh, two groups. They have uh, New York City proper and then they have Brooklyn. Uh, and I believe our furthest one away is um, Mary Sarawak in Malaysia. So it's uh, it's it was an awesome opportunity. I was so thankful to Brogan and Boyan for the opportunity to lead the New York City group I led for a little less than two years. Um, and it's basically... You're out there leading three workouts a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm sorry, four workouts a week. We had an early workout on Wednesday um, that are a combination of body weight strength and running and cardio and plyo. And uh, we did a little bit of everything. We did a little bit of, you know, sort of traditional running with our PR day. We did that once a month to um, we did a giant game of sardines uh, with the group in Union Square which if you've never played sardines before is like hide and seek and reverse. And everybody has to try and find the leaders. Um, we got found about 22 minutes into the workout, but we were trying really hard not to be found. Um, but it was great. It was just like this giant, uh, giant playtime type of thing all at six 30 in the morning. Um, we had a, a star Wars workout a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I was running through Brookfield place through the plaza. It's sort of right on the Hudson river. Uh, dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi with a, a lightsaber over my head, demonstrating lightsaber lunges. And the security guard came out and I really thought we were going to get kicked out. And he just smiled and applauded. And he's like, that's what I thought you were doing. Have a great morning. <laughs> like, thanks, dude. Uh, so, yeah, so we uh, definitely like connecting communities through um, free fitness and, you know, sort of making city or cities friendlier. Uh, one sweaty hug at a time. And it's it's phenomenal to see this from afar. I mean, I, I've participated in November Project in multiple cities, and it's mm-hmm. it's pretty special to see how, you know, the, the word community, you know, has in its free community and how that's happened. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so, I think, so powerful. And, you know, with everything that's going on now with COVID-19 in terms of, you know, certain areas are restricted in terms of gatherings. I saw, uh, you know, November mm-hmm. Project addressed that pretty quickly and said, "Hey, like, the the you know, worldwide, we're doing all virtual. We're doing yeah. all virtual workouts now." That. There was uh, 
Yeah, hundreds saw, of people on Zoom this morning so working cool. out in their living rooms. So yep. cool, so cool. I love that. I love that. So I want to talk about and shift gears a little bit about what you're doing now and continuing sure. to build. I mean, it's kind of funny. I've got a note sheet here, but you know, if we talk about where we started and and I, I, we've done this with survivors because we see like this arc that people go through in their lives. Um, and there's this arc here, Mary, for you though, that I've see here in my notes is like, you know, with, with the running and, and the ultras and then the career and then November project. And, you know, you were running, you know, the, the 74 stores. And then now this next version of you professionally of connecting and experience and community with active brands. So let's talk about that. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the one of the the joys of doing what I do in sort of the running specialty and now in the larger outdoor space was really helping communities connect in impactful ways, right? In really authentic ways and understanding where those communities were coming from, what they wanted to achieve, and then helping find the right partners um, to help them achieve that. Because ultimately, um, a good partnership is really symbiotic. You have, you know, it's not just, hey, I, yeah, I'm going to use a brand example for a second. It's not just, hey, I want somebody to write four blog posts and give me two social media posts and I'll be happy with that, right? It's what does this brand want to do? What are their goals? Where do they want to go? And who are the who are the right groups to align them with um, mm-hmm. and to, to help them grow and develop? Because those are the kinds of relationships that, I think really transcend the typical experience with brands. People, people want to feel an affinity for a brand that's just beyond, uh, you know, I wear this label or this brand because I, you know, I like it and I, I, I recognize it as like an important brand. They want to feel connected to those brands. Um, there's a one particular footwear brand right now that I, I feel like is just absolutely crushing it. And as, with another community organization that I work with run for all women We've been extremely fortunate to work with Hoka One One mm-hmm. um, and their director of global comms, Martha Garcia, has been so intentional and so brilliant about connecting to communities in really impactful and intentional ways. Um, they had a campaign over the fall called Time to, and it was essentially time to fly, but there were all kinds of different um images and groups represented and they had this one particular image uh and it it said um time to change the game and time to represent and it was uh, a professional ultra runner who was at an aid station at at a race um uh breastfeeding her child and then continuing on with the race um and there were no shoes anywhere visible in this ad just this incredibly powerful image and that says so much about the brand and so much about the communities that the brand aligns itself with. And it was unbelievably popular. People were like, wow, this is amazing. Like this is a brand that's really speaking to, you know, a demographic of people that, you know, and and to a a particular aspect of humanity that we just don't see represented in sport. Um, And those are the kind of really cool things that I see brands doing. And I'm excited to, you know, with, with some of my clients sort of work on that in a, in a larger perspective. Um, and I, I think that as we move forward in the next five to 10 years and people grow increasingly connected digitally, 
I think that's going to be really important for brands and communities alike to stand out above the noise, right? Because there's only so much signal and only so much bandwidth. And really to stand out and make an impact and to do the things that you want to do with your brand or your community, you have to have that really authentic connectivity. Um, one of the things that I love about Project Purple is, is you do such a really wonderful job about highlighting the experiences of all of the people that are in your community, right? It's, you're talking to the survivors, you're talking to the people who are newly diagnosed, you're talking to their family, to their friends, to the people that are fundraising. And it really presents a a much more complete picture of who you are as an organization and what your goals are and where your heart is. And I think that that's why it resonates so well with your community. Um, And those, those are the kinds of things that I, I like to do with my teams, I, I put together a lot of work that's sort of at the intersection of digital and experiential. So thinking about how uh, communities in real life connect online and how to connect online communities in real life. Cool stuff. You mentioned the Thanks. the lady breastfeeding and then going on and, and running. And, and mm-hmm. I have a note here, you know, you mentioned something early on when you were in the, in high school and you're, you're, you know, the coach, which, you know, in this day and age, that probably would not fly. Let's just put that oh, out I'm there. Oh, sure, I'm sure it would He'd not. He'd probably be out of a job really quick, let's yeah. say. But so the rise of female running, you gave the example of the lady breastfeeding and then going on and, you know, running the race and maybe winning that race, you know, but breastfeeding mm-hmm. your child. There's been so much in the news of late, you know, the past year about, you know, these uh, females who have children and there were these, which is mind blowing to me that there wasn't a maternity clause, right? Like these professional mm-hmm. athletes who do this for a living and, you know, r- win races and, and, you know, compete at a, at a professional level. Once they got pregnant, like they didn't get paid. And I was like, what? I, I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we, we, you know, just coming off, what was it? two weeks ago or yeah, two weeks ago with the U S trials, we had like 750 plus women, you know, mm-hmm. who qualified for the Olympic trials, which was like the biggest field ever. And I, and granted they did make some changes to the time qualification, but still you had that many women, you know, qualifying. double the number of yeah. female qualifiers to male qualifiers. And I, I would also hasten to add that just recently, I believe it was in the last within the last week uh, apologies if it was longer this left this week has felt really long uh there was a decision i believe from fifa about how the pay scale will be structured for female athletes and trying to make a justification for why male athletes get paid more yeah and i uh, i believe their argument and this is just my incomplete understanding was that it somehow takes more skill to be a male soccer player oh, um okay it's yeah so we, it just in my 14 years in the industry, I feel like we've made good progress towards, uh, you know, a more complete understanding of what it means not only to be a, a female athlete, but also to recognize that female leadership is needed at every level in order for that to even be an adequate level of, um, of understanding. You know, uh, there's so few, uh, female senior leaders in the footwear industry right now. Martha is a a fantastic example of somebody who's really got a lot on the ball and is, you know, is who is doing a lot to drive everything forward. Um, But she's just one person. There's not a ton of women 
that occupy that space. You've got Lesko and Sally and Lauren Fleshman over at Wazelle, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't have a ton of that. Like we're still, you know, for every uh, entry level job in the outdoor industry, you have about 50% female participation in sort of like the entry level of the outdoor industry. But once you get to the C-suite, it's between 10 and 15% um, representation of, uh, of gender. Um, and we really have to, we have to work hard to change that. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, having, you know, more women at every level of the sport from, you know, folks just getting started to all of those women at the Olympic trials, which was marvelous to watch, by the way, absolutely marvelous to watch, watching um, Allie and Molly in the last four miles, just working together and battling the wind. And then, you know, Sally and, and Des like really kicking it for third and fourth. Yeah. That that's the kind of thing that's going to drive all of us forward, but it needs to work on a, on a lot of levels. And um, ultimately more women participating in the sport on all levels and, and participating in the business of sport on all levels is going to be better for everybody in general. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, it, it's exciting. It, I, you know, we, we actually, full disclosure, we were at an event, a brewery here in Connecticut. We were, were involved in this pint for PC program. And um, we walked in. I was like, oh, the Olympic trials aren't on? What are these people, crazy? And I was like, mm-hmm. we're runners. We, we, we've got to watch the Olympic trials. And, I, and, and you know, and there were some people there. And I was like, okay, I, I got to walk away from the table. We had pizza and beers. And I was like, I want to watch the trials because it was so captivating on what was going on with that women's race. It was awesome. It was so awesome to watch. And, you know, we've, we've been fortunate. We've, uh, we've had some dealings with Molly Huddle. And um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, this whole rise of women running is really exciting to see. And there are, you know, not to say that, um, you know, the, the men's running here in the United States, I think has, you know, there's some new people um, and, and some old folks. You know, you mentioned Abby, uh, older folks, I shouldn't call him old. He's not old. He's just <laughs> a lot older than the rest of the field. It seems like, you know, I but, was good. Yeah. Abdi Abdurrahman. Yeah. He yeah. was, I think he was the oldest 41, right? qualify for the trials. Yeah. Oh, I think he's, Abdi might be a little older than that, but I'd have to look it up. Yeah. But so, but the women's, it, it's just so exciting to watch, you know, and, and, and I personally thought it was amazing, um, you know, to see some new faces up there, which is, is really exciting. And, and, you know, the one thing I think is, you know, there is this, um, you know, positivity for us in the running community to look at, you know, with some of these new faces and with that happening, you know, with, with, with the women's rise of running, which is just awesome to see. I want to transition into our last segment here and, you know, Mm this will air in a couple weeks. Let's hope that we're still not where we are today and hopefully we're in a better place but I know we opened and we talked a little bit about this, but let's talk a little bit more in depth. You know, COVID-19 is is here to stay, um, hopefully not long, hopefully it goes away. When that happens, we don't know. In your opinion, where do you think we transition and we pivot from here? What are some of the things? I know we said like change is going to happen, but if we had a crystal ball and let's say you know, we, we could go into the future in six months or into a year or maybe let's even say two years. Where do you think mm-hmm. some of the things will be in the yeah, running that's, community? That's a that's a big question. It's loaded. I, it's I'm, a loaded question. It and really a big is. Question. 
I'm going to pull up on the stick a little bit and talk very generally about some things that I, I hope will come out of where we are now. Um, I hope that number one, corporations will, you know, and again, I'm speaking very general, generally here, will begin to recognize really much more on a much deeper level um, the, uh, the power of remote work. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of industries at this point, um, especially for folks who are sort of like entry to mid-level, there's a sense that if they're not in the office, they're not getting anything done. Um, and I think this disproportionately impacts women, um, especially for folks who might not only be um, parents, but also perhaps folks who are caregivers. So, uh, you know, because I, I am now firmly in the generation that is not yet taking care of a, a parent, but will be probably soon um, within the next 15 years or so. So understanding the value of remote work and understanding how good that can be not only for the morale of your team, but also the flexibility um, and the uh, giving them a, sort of a better work-life balance. I think that's the first thing. I think second, um, I hope this gives not only companies, but also maybe events and communities a more rich understanding of how to connect online in ways that really help people. Um, because I, I do feel that the, the social and, and economic impacts of what we're dealing with right now for COVID-19 are going to be so much more long tail than the actual virus. I mean, I think we could be looking at economic and social impacts for the next year and a half, two years, potentially. Um, so I, I hope that like with the November project example, if you can't get to a workout, can we get everybody together on Zoom? So that you're looking at somebody, you're talking to somebody like there's that feeling of connectivity and using tech um, to really to make impactful connections in people's lives. I hope that that's something that we we learn more about and that enriches our knowledge of of how we can connect with communities both on and offline. Um, and, and I hope that, um, you know, six months down the road, we have a better understanding of how to. Uh, collaborate in times of stress and understand um, that we're all working together to achieve a, a common goal. And that's not just something that, that crops up in sports, but something that happens in everyday life and how to sort of like align our communities around a common goal and work towards that. Um, I think that those are sort of the, the big things that I'd like to see. I would be hopeful to see that, you know, that we learn from this and we move forward. Um, in, in sort of the running end of things, I think that potentially this has the opportunity to, to sh- you know, to teach us more about how we can extend in-person events into the virtual realm. I know that with the ever-growing list of canceled and postponed races, there's a lot of um, event companies and race directors that are looking to hold virtual races and figure out ways to connect with people even if they can't hold the in-person race, which I think broadens the folks that we can reach out to as, you know, as, as a running community, right? Maybe you're somebody who lives in, you know, 20 miles north of Duluth and you don't have any local races, right? But you can participate in virtual races. You can feel like you're a part of an online community and that kind of, that helps move you into the community. 
Um, I, I hope that those are some things that we can see come out of this um, and understand that it's not going to be an easy road out. But if we if we stick together, if we keep our heads and we learn from these things as we go along the way, um, I feel like we stand to have a much stronger and more um, community connected industry. Uh, but it's it's not it's it's not going to be easy. I mean, there's a lot of races that may not come back next year because this was just too much of a hit financially. And understanding how do we support those folks, and you know how do we provide opportunities for the business to continue to grow? That those are going to be the challenges that we face. But I really think if we if we think concertedly about how we connect online to connect offline, and how do we learn from what's happening now? Um, we'll come up with some really great stuff. I mean, it's, I forget who said it, but you, you know, it's, it's all fun and games until you have to figure out how to do it. Right. Like how, how does this work? We've never had to do this before. Um, that's where you get, you get some great stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, I mean, the world is a very interesting place right now. And I think, you know, politically, I think as, um, has been a challenge, right? And socially has been a challenge. And this is not something new. This, I think, has been happening since social media started, right? When social media started mm -hmm. to, to maybe take over people's lives because it, I think it does to some degree. But I, I think maybe this is the thing that changes that. You know, maybe there's ways that this, you know, I, you always try to find, I always try, I should say, trying to find the positives out of something really negative, right? And that's what we do here mm -hmm. at Project Purple, mm -hmm. you know? But so I think maybe this is the thing, the catalyst that finds, you know, this this connection. And I think that's happened to some degree, right? Like I think with, you know, for charities example, I think social media has been a great thing to message and to, to, to get people together, um, you know, kind of virtually, I guess, and support, you know, through f mm -hmm. Facebook donations and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe this is the, the catalyst that creates like positive change in the world. And maybe the world, this is just kind of, and I'm not trying to drop philosophy on anything here or on anyone <laughs> is like, maybe this is the catalyst, right? Maybe the world is saying, Hey, like everyone needs to like be better. You know, and, 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 and that's pretty broad, but like, I think that's in all senses, right? Like, you know, be better at everything you do. And, and as I said before, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to get really uncomfortable to grow. And maybe this is just one of those mm -hmm. examples. And I don't wish anyone to be sick or ill or to pass away or, or races or events to go away, but maybe this is the thing that maybe pushes this industry and certain industries to just become better. Not all will. We know that. I mean, that's history, right? Like when, when we've seen these things happen. So I, I think that's so profound and, and I, I can't disagree with any of those points and I can see that happening, you know, and, and maybe, the, the, you know, again, when, when, the, when the crap hits the wall, like I think people hmm. kind of find solutions and find new and interesting ways to engage and to build and to grow. So I, I, I can't disagree with any of those, Mary. That's so, so profound. Well, the last thing Thank I have you. for you, and most important thing, as I always say, is if there was something that our listeners kind of heard on this podcast, maybe it was the ultras and someone wants to find out how to get mm -hmm. into ultras or how to get into Berkeley or learn more about Berkeley or learn mm -hmm. more about Vermont or anything else, maybe use your services. Um, you're not exclusive with Project Purple. I know you work with other groups, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, 
what's the best way for them to learn more about active brand consulting sure. and to reach out to you and get in touch with you? I, I appreciate that. Thanks, Tina. So uh, you can find me online. It's activebrandconsulting.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at active underscore brand underscore NYC. Um, I do a lot of, I post a lot of work uh, there and sort of share some of the messages that come out of our communities. Um, that's, uh, that's sort of like, that's my bread and butter right now. Um, and if you're interested in um, sort of the, the advancement of female leadership and empowerment, I'm actually working on a project called Outside Conference and it's outsideconference.com. And we're on Instagram at Outside Conference. Uh, which is going to be uh, a leadership and adventure summit uh, dedicated to advancing women in um, in leadership roles that'll be taking place in Santa Fe uh, late in 2020. So if you're sort of interested in, in the work, it's activebrandconsulting.com and sort of the, the female empowerment and leadership piece, it's outsideconference.com. Um, and if you're just interested in ultra running shenanigans, just in general, I'm Mary Arnold NYC on Instagram. Um, there's probably going to be some cat videos somewhere, just, you know, heads up, full disclosure, uh, and probably some, uh, probably some ultra videos like, wow, is that the fifth like cheese sandwich she's eaten in the last 12 hours of this hundred K? I love it. I love uh, it. Oh yeah, it's definitely one of those moments where you're like, okay, what, what, how, how much could I stuff in my face at mile seventy five and still make it to mile hundred? So, uh, but yeah, and if it's a cheese and bacon sandwich, it's always a good thing. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, Mary, thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast. Thank you for all you do for Project Purple, and thank you for you know being such a positive influence not only in the running community but in the endurance community um, and what you're doing with active brands. So we look forward to working with you again. That will, will happen. I promise we're going to get through all this. And uh, as awesome. we say here at the project purple podcast, that's a wrap of another episode mm-hmm. of the project purple podcast. If you like what you hear today, please share it wherever you listen to podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher until next time. We'll talk to you then. Beep.